This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm the Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm super lucky to be joined now in the studio by Craig Walker, who's the CEO and founder of Dialpad. Craig, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, first things first, I'm just going to point our listeners to your, to your website and I first got to commend you. I'm a little bit obsessive about names, and I love names that are two dictionary words like this. Oh, so <laughs> dialpad.com, no stinking hyphens, no .net, none of that. It's just dialpad.com. Exactly. And <clears throat> it's a funny story because we actually, this is our third or my third startup. The first one was dialpad.com as well, and we got acquired by Yahoo 2005. Yeah. And so 2012, we were starting this called uh called a friend at yahoo i'm like look you haven't used it in seven years is there any way we can get it back and they sold it back to us so it's almost nice. impossible to yeah. get a dot com yeah. these days yeah that's beautiful that's a great story i was going to in fact ask you about that so thanks for for sharing so let's get started by giving us the elevator pitch for dialpad yeah so our we do we're all about business enterprise communications and we believe that your personal communications are are pretty good mm. you use you've chosen whether you're using an iPhone or an Android and what apps and tools you want to use. And then you get to work, and a lot of times you're faced with this technology that was made for your parents, mm-hmm. like a desk phone with a bunch of lights and blinking things on it. So what we do is we built a, um, a business phone system fully in the cloud that uses your own mobile phone or your own laptop or your own tablet or your desk phone if you want to have a desk phone as well, but basically moves all that infrastructure into the cloud and makes you, like for, for a modern mobile worker, mm-hmm. being able to use the tools that you actually want to use for your business communications. So I, I was a little surprised in thinking about this that, that there are people still using those things that are on your desk, that desk phone. Is, is, are they actually being used, or are they just sort of these stranded yeah, it's, assets? It's ridiculous. So there's about 190 million of them in the U.S. Yeah. of desk phones. So uh, some companies still use them. All these, you know, all the cool startups out here yeah. generally don't ever go that right. way. So you kind of have this either born-in-the-cloud type company that never went that way, but still now they're maturing into a real business and need Mm-hmm. to have a phone system or way to communicate with their employees and like have you know have customers be able to communicate and then you have these legacy guys like Motorola is a customer of ours 85 year old company in Schaumburg Illinois they had desk phones that literally were from the mid 90s wow. and so they went in they hired this great new CIO who said you know we're moving to the cloud we're moving to Google G Suite and we're getting rid of this this you know Cisco Avaya type legacy phone system and went all dial pad. So they were able to get rid of tens of thousands of these things. Yeah. But they should all go away. Yeah. So I, I think I get I get it's clear to me what, what it means for a company like Motorola who has this legacy infrastructure that's not very useful to strip that out and replace it with your solution. What about the the company that, that never went that way? So they're 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 just using a mobile device now. Uh, what what do you offer to them? Yeah so uh, Uber is a customer of ours that is that is like that, or Stripe here in San Francisco, or WeWork is is one as well, and um, <clears throat> and at the end of the day, you still as you're a growing company, you still want to be able to 
communicate with your customers, handle support calls, handle sales calls. You know, you have lawyers and finance teams and all these things that that are having external communications mm-hmm. that you generally don't want thousands of people just giving out their own personal I cell see. phones. Yeah. So it actually gives you that structure and protection of this is my business communication system, mm-hmm. but I get to use the device that I want to use that I have in my pocket. Okay, so that would be on the on the inbound side. So yeah. your ability to give the external world a, a, a point of contact that isn't your personal phone. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, what else? What else? Yeah. So on the outbound side, then your business phone line actually becomes your caller ID. So you don't have to give up your personal cell number on that. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, all of our numbers are fully textable and SMSable. So again. You don't have to use your personal cell phone to do that. So um, Denison University is a, a customer of ours. If you think about freshmen in college today, born in 1999, only using cell phones and only using cell phones to text. They're not right. talking. They're not listening <laughs> to voicemail. They're not reading email. Right. And so being able to text the administration, being able to have a professor be able to text a student, again, with still all the protection of not giving up your own personal number, um, is pretty Pretty powerful. It's how people work today. So it's yeah. once you're free from sitting in front of that desk and that desk phone, you, know, you can work from the library, you can work from the cafe, you can work from home, you can work from bed, you can work from anywhere. Yeah. And so the and, and maybe you just talk through about how it's actually implemented. So on the, on a mobile device, it's a it's an app. Is that yeah. Right? So there there's an app on the mobile device, yeah. but we'll just ring your phone as well. So someone calls the work. They press one, say you're in the sales department. Yeah. Press one for sales, your cell phone rings, you pick it up. You're, you're, and that looks like a regular phone call. Yeah, phone everything calls. just yeah. looks normal. But yeah. if you say you're in a place with terrible cell coverage, you can use the app to do a voice over IP call too. Yeah, and, and then what about on the outbound call? Same I use thing. the app. You get to choose. So place a call out of the app, and it'll either go yeah. through the phone system but still show the red caller ID, or it'll go over the internet and show the red caller ID. So it's basically whatever you want to use. And so uh, this is now way more technology than I yeah. understand. But but the so it could be it could be either voice over IP or it could be using the actual radio to make a phone call. Is that it, right? Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Another thing is if you're on a call and one of them is one of them is bad, you can actually tap a button and yeah. it'll switch from one to the other. Yeah. So you can pick the best radio yeah. for you. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned in the introduction a cross platform solution so it's a similar similar functionality there's a there's a there's a web app of some kind if i want to use it on my laptop yeah you yeah. can use it on your laptop your desktop uh, yeah. you know ipad yeah android iphone yeah. whatever you want yeah really cool yeah awesome so so take us back to the beginning where did the idea come from yeah so so going back back so i had been a securities attorney here in the valley and Palo Alto. Oh, and, of course, that would be the obvious. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah kind of a weird. So I ended up going to uh, one of my clients was starting a venture fund in the late '90s, yeah. and then so I joined him, and then we were making investments. And one of our investments was this company Dialpad ah. in 1999. There was voice over IP using the internet to make cheap or even free phone calls before Skype, and uh, really kind of like right on the early edge of that revolution. Um, so they put me in actually after a couple of years as CEO, and then I ran it from 2001 to 2005, um, and then we got acquired by by Yahoo. 
left Yahoo to start a company called Grand Central, mm-hmm. where we gave you a phone number that would ring you on all your devices and move all your voicemail and features to the cloud. Um, that company got acquired by Google uh, and became Google Voice. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed at Google for three years. And then we were as we saw more and more businesses moving to the cloud for their email and for, you know, at the time, Gmail, but now Microsoft has Office 365. But more and more businesses moving to the cloud for things like Box and Dropbox and all their other infrastructure is actually getting out into the cloud. We realized communications has to go with it. Like voice communications can't be tied to a desk. Mm. So then we left Google to start this, all built around kind of that modern cloud thinking business that wants their employees to be able to be productive from anywhere on any device. Yeah, so I'm I'm really curious about that leaving Google part because as you were talking, I was thinking, well, gee, Google Voice does almost all of that. Does quite a bit of that. Yeah, Uh, the cross-platform stuff and the you know the the giving you a different number and so forth. So, how I guess two questions: How big a leap was it really from Google Voice? And secondly, why did Google? Did you have a conversation with Google about should this be an internal project or should we go leave and do it? Yeah, so. Great question. So, so it started as it was going to be an internal project. Ah. So uh, we wanted to do Google Voice for Enterprise, and this was around 2009. And, um, and we saw there was a lot of traction in businesses signing up for Gmail mm-hmm. and moving to that away from like an exchange on-premise yeah. email system. And so we'd go in, and Google Voice was this consumer product, but we'd go demo Google Voice to these big Google G Suite customers, and you realized a couple things. One, they all hate their phone system, yeah. so they were like thrilled, like, when can we get that right. to go with, with this? And um, and more and more businesses, we realized this is the future of how you're going to communicate or have your email. There's no reason in the world you'd host it on your own thing and have IT guys supporting it and right. having to like, remember like you used to have to connect back into your office through a remote mm-hmm. connection to check your email. It was just yeah. crazy. So, um, so we realized every business was going to ultimately move to the cloud for their productivity suite. And once they did that, having a business phone system tied and totally custom made for that productivity suite would be a big business. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do it internally. Google at the time was terrified of Facebook and did this project called Google Plus, Oops. if yeah. you recall. And they like <laughs> tore, pulled all these resources together to try to build this, this social network. And so at the time, we didn't want to necessarily work on the social network. We wanted to keep on this project. So rather than rather than uh, going to work on Google+, we left. Me and my two co-founders ran the engineering for Google Voice. Yeah. Um, but we went to Google Ventures, and they funded the company oh, wow. and kind of incubated it. And so then... So Google, like Rich Miner, who's the co-founder of Android, he's one of our board members. Yeah. So there's always been a really good partnership yeah. and relationship with Google. And so as we started building this externally, you kind of had an opportunity to rebuild it from scratch yeah. using 2011 yeah. technology versus 2005. And then, um, but it is considerably different than Google Voice because the way we looked at it is a Google Voice user is almost like an employee at a company mm-hmm. like because i call the employee and it'll ring them anywhere they want to be rung but building the whole phone system on top of that of sales line support line what happens 
if someone calls on a weekend right, versus right, middle right. of the night versus you know all, all that plumbing, all Everybody this crazy plumbing. features yeah. that they've developed over the last you know fifty years yeah. that these companies have built their processes around. There's really a lot of stuff you got to do to yeah. to re- yeah. be able to go replace that. You know, I want to drill down just another minute on the on the Google thing. So on the one hand, you sort of had the best of all worlds because it, you had you had this relationship with Google and some financing from Google. Did, has that proven to be a a liability as you've gone to raise additional capital or or not? Not at all. Uh, Google Ventures is they've changed the name of the fund to GV just to make okay. it a little less yeah, yeah. less tied to Google. But they're the nice thing about it is they were free to like they're looking for financial returns. It's not like a lot of corporate venture funds where it has to be strategic right. to the company. They're just looking for the best ideas and the best yeah. investments. So they've been treated like a normal venture fund. Um, in fact, they have great prestige. So when we were raising our other rounds, you know, having Google Ventures and Bill Maris, who was the founder of Bill, Google Ventures, along with Wesley Chan and, uh, and Rich Miner, those, those three were fantastic for us, helping us raise rounds after that. Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I'm speaking with Craig Walker, who's the founder and CEO of Dialpad. Uh, Craig, I want to take, take me back to when you left Google. You had a vision for what this product was, and I would characterize this as a venture. It's, it's not, okay, I don't mean to be... Uh, critical but i would say it's not a big idea venture it's more an execution venture that is it, it you wouldn't be the first person who had the thought that that uh, enterprise phone systems would go on to mobile devices and what that might look like so so is there a difference in the way you proceed uh in something that is sort of i don't want to say obvious idea but the idea itself is not where the value is going to be created here. It's going to be in can you actually build this reliably, efficiently, get it done? Uh, well, before I put those words in your mouth, tell me a little bit about about that observation. What is required for success with an idea like this and how you went about it? Yeah, that's uh Totally accurate. Okay. <laughs> totally accurate. And this isn't the eureka middle of the right. night idea that no one else has thought of. And, right. and even when we were raising money for Grand Central, like venture capitalists would say, oh, AT&T tried to do a single number solution yeah. in 86. And you know, <laughs> everyone knows that. Right. And, and my answer was always, look, I don't know what they did wrong. I don't know why it didn't take off. I do know that I still have three phones that have three different voicemail systems that are terrible and I'd like to have it all unified in one. Um, So this was, yeah, this was, I think, pretty obvious, but part of it is particularly if you're trying to sell to an enterprise, Mm. like, you know, over a thousand employees and you're trying to get them to believe that you are actually going to be as reliable as the thing you're replacing. And you're going to be so much better for all these other benefits of mobility and accessibility and, and integrations. But at the end of the day, you have to have some credibility to be able to say, hey, this is like a five nines enterprise grade right. phone system. And by the way, we built Dialpad that became Yahoo Voice. We built Grand Central that became Google Voice. We've done billions and billions and billions of minutes over our career. Like this is our fourth platform. That so we're you, what, just to put it, underscore what you're saying, you're invoking pedigree effectively and and, and, and yeah. technical yeah. experience yeah. that's very demonstrable yeah 
Yeah. And then how does it change the way you go about and build the product? Is it still, do you still take an MVP approach where you build a minimal product and iterate? Or do you have to build a pretty full feature? No, you got to build a pretty, yeah. pretty full yeah. feature. And because at the end of the day, it's not, it, it's not a question of, hey, I wonder if anyone will care. Right. It, it, right. it was legitimately, hey, this is a $160 billion a year market. <laughs> Let's go build the best product for it. Right. And so then you don't get the opportunity to just toy around with stuff. Right. You actually have to do it right. right. Um, but we had the benefit of we first built a conference calling product called Uber Conference, mm -hmm. where we wanted to just make conference calls better. And so we got rid of the pin that you have to enter to, to join a conference call. And then we gave you a URL so you could hit a little link to see who was actually, it would give you a web page that shows you who just arrived, who's talking, who's, you know, what what is this person like, what's their title on LinkedIn and how do I know them? All these things that, that make a conference call so much more impactful by knowing who's in the room, by knowing who's talking, by getting, you know, being able to actually know what job they all do. Um, that gave us the ability to really drive a ton of traffic onto this platform and burn in the high quality of that platform. And then we use that same platform to then go launch the Dialpad product. Oh, so you started with the uh, Uber conference With product. conferencing, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and we still, like, yeah. it's still one of our products. It does. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I was just on a conference call today and commenting that it sucks. They always suck. They, they all never do. work. No, and it's like, legitimately, this was a thing I yeah. couldn't believe. Like, I graduated from high school in 1983. I think I got on my first conference call then. Yeah. And it was dial a phone number, enter a pin, hear a beep, and just be like, all right, yeah. I, this is Craig. And who else is on the line? Exactly. And you fast forward to 2017. That's still same thing. the same thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about, about fundraising. If I can believe Crunchbase, you've raised something on the order of $70 million. And I guess the other thing I want to calibrate people on is you've been at this for seven years yeah. to be an overnight success. So, yeah. you know, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's even, even with something like this, which seems like a sort of a slam dunk in terms of the opportunity, it's still a slog. Yeah. It's still a long slog. It's, so, it's, yeah. it's seven years. Well, good thing is the time flies. Yeah. It's like a near death experience every day, but um, no fundraising. We raised a $3 million series a, which was really, you know, just to, just to get started. And then we launched Uber conference. Uh, and then we raised a $15 million series B um, basically to fund that. And then we raised a relatively large series C that got us up to 70. Mm -hmm. And, and then the a related question is, um, well, I suppose the two questions are: What kind of traction milestones do you look at? And and that, but maybe the more substantive question is: What is your strategy for customer acquisition? Yeah, yeah. So, so kind of the milestones we look at is there's kind of this interesting rule of thumb that some VCs use, and it's called like T two D three. So, in your first five years, you want to triple, triple, then double, double, double every year. So. So if we can hit those metrics and we've been pretty close to it, uh, then we're doing really well. And we're currently in the double phase, so we're yeah. trying to double every year. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the second half? Well, of the second question is about acquisition. Oh, yes. Acquisition. Yeah, so, so we actually have a really, really uh, diverse go-to-market strategy. So we have, um, first of all, Uber Conference is a great lead gen for yeah. Dialpad. So. Yeah. Every single conference call that we host brings in 
for new people to try the product. And is that a, is that a free product? And it's yeah, it's a freemium yeah, product. Yeah. So it gets a you know thousands of new users every day, and they're all mostly their businesses that understand the value of, of yeah. kind of modern communications. So those are those are great leads. Um, but we do a good amount of business online. Just uh, and that's probably small businesses up to about fifty seats. Uh, above 50 to 500, we have an inside sales team. And above 500, we actually have a field sales team that's out talking to the largest enterprises. And do you, I, I, I think of this as the Dropbox strategy where you, you get some somebody inside the company to start using your product and then yeah. starting to pester IT. Yeah. Is that the strategy you use with the large companies? Yeah, it's it, yes and no. Some of them will go very traditional route and they'll put out an RFP and want yeah. to come talk to a bunch of vendors and, and you go through it. But I'm trying to remember, we just had a couple hundred thousand dollar a year deal came through and it was five guys in their IT team set up a, wanted to test it out. We didn't know who they were. They set it up, used it, loved it, rolled it out to the whole company without really any sales involvement. Wow. And and so like getting that ability to use and try the product and to have a product that generally these phone systems are so complicated that it takes like, you know, a team of IT guys and systems right. engineers to set it up and you turn it into an easy web product that someone can just go sign up for like they're signing up for Gmail. Yeah. That all of a sudden you've changed you know, the whole way that you buy and onboard customers. Yeah. So I forgot to ask you actually how, how you think about pricing. So yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So so pricing, we always want to be pretty disruptive on pricing. Um, not, you know, not free for everything, but I do like the freemium sure. model. I yeah. want people using the product and fall in love with it. Um, but then we price it. Our, our lowest tier is $15 a month, goes up to $35 a month for enterprise. And that gives us enough room to do a lot of stuff. And, yeah. and telephony, the nice thing, you know, from a business side yeah. is as you get more and more volume, your minutes and costs and everything goes down. Yeah. So as we grow, the margins actually get better. Yeah. All right. Well, we just have a couple minutes, but I want to change directions a little bit. You're, you've been a serial entrepreneur, a very interesting, successful track record. Uh, there was a little sort of cryptic comment on your website about workplace design. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you've designed your workplace. And uh, maybe maybe I'm misreading that there's something interesting there. But maybe reflect on your experience as an entrepreneur and what you've tried to do in building Dialpad. Yeah. So, so we were really lucky that Dialpad is our third startup in a row. And so we now, when you start a company, one of the hardest things is having the right team members around you and that right founding team with the same shared values and culture and stuff. And so our team's been together for 10, 15 years. And like, there's a lot of people who've, a lot of people with us today who started at Dialpad One, we went to Yahoo together, we went to Grand Central together, we went to Google together, we came here, did Uber conference at Dialpad together. So we have this group, like probably the core first 30 folks either we've worked together for at least five to ten years and the next level of people you hire is like one degree of separation from that group of friends so we're able to start with a really good core founding team mm -hmm. and that lets you you know lets you kind of do things without having to worry about okay you know, do i have to worry about how these people are going to fit well together in mesh so i think that's been that's been one of the one of the key advantages we've had and and the workplace design is, we believe in what we've seen in a lot of workplace design is there's, there's like these WeWork 
type yep. facilities. And there's now businesses that are hiring WeWork to come yep. in and like WeWork guys, yep. their own offices. And what that means is everything's modular. You could sit at one desk one day, you could work from home another day, you can like you be productive in anywhere at any point, which to us is perfect yeah. because then it's like you need that mobility and right. flexibility. And you're using your solution. Yeah, for exactly that. right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, Craig, remarkably, we're we're right on time, but we're also out of time. And we really appreciate you coming into the studio. It's super interesting. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, for more information about Dialpad, you can just go to dialpad.com. Remember that awesome URL, dialpad.com. Coming up, Summer Crenshaw joins me to talk about her company, Tiller, which is looking to get rid of bias in staffing and maybe eliminate job interviews altogether. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, and you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 